planet of Brooklyn. Yeah, this one is a slapper. Yo, what's good? This is DJ Spinner, and you're listening to the Mega Late Show, the number one hip-hop podcast in the world. Peace. Yes, Indelible Mega Late Show, episode number 102. This is Tokyo's number one hip-hop and creative culture suchness, the best podcast out here. You know the vibes, uh, weekly offerings here in Tokyo, uh, the most dope artists visiting and local. Uh, I don't know, man. Shit. Late is not here again. He's taking a bit of a sabbatical, but I am mega. And today, uh, my guest host for, I'm hoping, the majority of the podcast is a person who's been on the podcast before. It's a good homie of mine. Together, we have been spiraling upwards and constantly elevating with our self-help ridiculousness <laughs> and reading of books uh, about atomic habits and bullet journaling and things of this nature. This is the good homie Phonics. Peace, fam. What's up? Peace, peace. And yo, uh, thanks again for joining us, Phonics. Go back to listen to his episode, which is, I think, in the first year we recorded with you. You're like probably guest number that was a while three back. or something like that. And we're, we're no, you're guest like 14, maybe 12. Long time ago. Yeah. We didn't even have the table. I didn't have the rack. It was oh, real different right. in here, yeah. right? It was real different in here. But uh, yeah, uh, Phonics, West Coast guy, you know, we're West Coasting today. Rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. And uh, man, we've had a lot of incredible. Uh, producers mm. on our podcast. We've had Mark DeClivelo. Shout out to Mark DeClivelo, the legendary DJ spinner of just incredible notoriety. Uh, we've even had Marley Mall right in this very room. And that's the first guy that ever individually sampled kicks. You know what I mean? He's, he's a legend. In that complex list of the greatest producers by year, 1988, Marley Mall. And 88 is the first golden era, right? The first golden age. We've had a lot of super dope producers on here. Even a lot of tremendously dope producers out here in Tokyo. Cram, Il Sugi, um, Fitz Ambrose, Submerse. Next week, we're going to have Marcus D and Submerse is coming back. Just super dope. But today, our guest is somebody that I've been following for a while. I actually didn't really get into his music or find out about his music until maybe a year or two before low came out but he's been one of my favorite producers to come out right now and i think that he has like a really uncanny ability to sample recognizable things and reframe them in ways that are interesting and new and it's almost as if um some people might shy back from doing that but the way that he'll touch something and repurpose it is really one of my favorite things out right now it's extremely soulful and just dope and i'm sure he gets a lot of dilla references and i'm not going to do that because while dilla is dope i think that this producer has his own voice and he's doing a lot of really incredible things um we've got him and I don't know, should I just, can I divulge the professional relationship here or is it just artists today? <laughs> no, you can divulge the I can relationship. Divulge? Okay, yeah, yeah. so I've got Jansport J. Uh, do I have, oh man, I don't even have a applause drop. Oh, yeah. 
Peace. Off rip, off rip. Jansport Peace. J, man, thank you for coming through. Man, thank you. And for Phonics me. is the one to help facilitate this. Um, this that's a shout out to Marcus back yeah. in uh, New York, Darker Than Wax fam. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. But we're here with Jansport J, and we're going to talk a lot about his career and the things he's done and the, the numerous albums that he's put out. But we've also got his manager. Am I right in saying that? Yes, sir. Slim Jeff. Slim Jeff, yep. And I've just been calling you Slim until we were at the show the other night, and it was like, yo, that CD there, that person's name is Slim Jeff. Is that you? And he's like, yes, that's me. <laughs> now, now, Slim Jeff, I haven't heard, uh, maybe I've heard one track featuring you. Are you an MC? I am an MC, man. Um, I tend to play a lot with the live band. I got in the habit of like playing live shows and not releasing music, so I'm trying to break that. Okay, know? but you're also uh, Jansport J's manager. Correct. And you manage multiple peoples. Correct. I have so. three artists right now, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't know the other artists, but you got Jansport J, so I got you must Jan be killing Sport it, Doc. Hey, man. You must man. be killing it. We in Tokyo it. live yeah. in the right now. Right. <laughs> I'm right here, you guys. Yeah, yeah. My bad. I, you know, no, I try to good. stray away from giving, like, the real, like, oh, man, this artist is really dope. But I got to admit, I was really excited no. to have you on, fam. No I appreciate doubt. it, man. It's, it's, it's beautiful to, to show love. I feel like it's important to do that. So with you showing the love, I just want to be grateful and receiving that so i appreciate it i'm just really excited to be in the same room that marley marl was in yeah because marley marl is top 10 actually top five just off of his influence and his contributions mm -hmm. and uh shout out to his son too his son is a dope producer is that right and i'm will. not familiar okay. and will the shogun yeah, okay that's the homie shout out to him you know like marley Mall's got a lot of family out here he's got uh, like a family in nagasaki he's been coming oh, in no and out wow. of this place since the 90s like he's good friends with dj murrow who is also another legend one of the first japanese cats but yeah, man. We um, shout out to Brooklyn Terry, Speakeasy. They're the ones yep. that brought Marley to the house. And the whole time, I was just kind of like, "Yo, that's Marley Mall, dog." Yeah, he's drinking. That's he's one, drinking Bailey's. That's one right of the there. ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that he's one of those like, kind of almost criminally unheralded within like modern day canon of hip hop. You know, it's we, just it, it's it's generations in this time. Um, right. You're only going to know about Marlon Mall if you really go and do your research. Right. And once you go and do the research, you're going to understand everything damn near that producers do is because of him. Right. You know what I'm saying? Pete Rock, Premier, that's their OG. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Like He's the first one that was chopping up a certain way. Like yeah. you had, Before that, you had Larry Smith and, you know, that 80s just kind of like Rick Rubin, just mm -hmm. kind of chaos everywhere. And Marley Marl was the one that starting to make sense of it so right um i share all of that for any younger homies that are listening and haven't heard of marley mall please look him up please look up easy moby it's important to know who right. these people are if we want to go any further you know and that's one of the things that was really important to me about having him on the podcast is just to kind of have that conversation and also man like his connection to japan is something that is not in the history books you know it's not in any of the books but he has a deep connection with japan and one of the things that keeps on bringing me back to wanting to do the podcast is that yo a lot of people got hella deep connections with japan out here people just coming out and uh the experiences that artists go through when when they come to japan is what i kind of want to highlight for people like uh you know we had ali shaheed muhammad on the podcast oh. and he was just like yo i don't remember the first time that i came to japan but i've loved it every single time i came here this is y'all's first time right. in japan yes first time how are you finding things gentlemen <laughs> not too great on the subway man the hardest <laughs> part is uh, exiting so i'm yeah, trying to find right. an exit you know but uh 
other than that, man, I love it. I love the culture and just taking it all in and, you know, trying to enjoy it and process it, you know? What was the first thing you kind of noticed when you got off? And you're like, I'm here, I'm in Japan, I have all these preconceptions. What did you notice? To be honest, man, I feel like we've been moving a million miles an hour. Like, we hit the ground mm. running. So, I mean, the first thing I noticed was just on the drive from the airport to the hotel, just, like, the language, you know? Just seeing um, Japanese writing everywhere, mm. you know? Because in America, it'll be something that's, like, at the a novelty, like, at the... Um, you know, the Japanese grocery store right. or something, you got to go to Gardena or like a specific area to get a little deeper mm -hmm. in the culture. But, you know, now I'm immersed in it. And it's different from going to Europe where it's like the same Latin right. languages. Mm -hmm. You know, you can kind of figure stuff out. You know, if you take your time, you can figure the language out. But coming here, it's like, you know, it's, you got to humble yourself. Right. It's humility yep. because it's like, <laughs> you can look at all the characters and you don't have you don't have a clue, you know? Yep. So it's like, you know, you got to figure out how to get around um, differently while you're learning. So, mm -hmm. you know, we just trying to humble myself mm -hmm. and fall in line and not be a loud American, you know, and just like fall in line with the culture, man, and the social fabric, you know, like you mentioned earlier, just sure. pay respects, respect everything. <laughs> Did um the smoking indoors throw you all off at all? A little bit. I think I was prepare for it though they told me that they uh the homie dibiase told me about that mm. and uh I, it's caught me off guard just like how much it happens or like the you guys have like booths out here yeah. like it'll be a booth in the club to go smoke like just it looks like oh that's where some cool niggas are at. let me see oh they're right. all just in there smoking <laughs> yeah, yeah um so yeah so that i noticed right away um i think outside of the things that i was prepared for just how polite and respectful the Japanese people are. Mm. It's like beyond anything I've ever seen. And they're just very, um, I don't know, they're very welcoming and they're very uh, hos hospitable and everything like that. Uh, especially going out to Shizuoka, like it just, that love was felt immediately right away. So, yeah. Word. Do Sh people still smoke in California? I feel like I've been. I, I'm a California cat too. Outside I grew up of the bar, I mean, yeah, that used yeah. to be the thing. You're going yeah. to the bar. It's like, oh, I'm gonna go grab a smoke. Yeah. I'll come out and talk with you. Okay, definitely outside of the bar. Yeah, I thought. I thought. Well, I I, I was in California when they when they uh you know made it so there was no like smoking section and mm -hmm. you can smoke in the bar. But like I thought with youth, you know what I mean? Like I thought maybe the kids nowadays aren't smoking cigarettes like that no, anymore. A lot of people no? smoke cigarettes. Like okay. a lot. Y'all yeah. smoke cigarettes? No, no sir. No, no, no. Not since the second all. grade, actually. Okay. Which is a whole That's story. That's, you, you've been, you, you <laughs> I was smoking cigarettes in the second grade for like three or four days. It was so reckless. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. After a pog game, too. It was crazy. Jesus, how you going to play game? some pogs in yeah. there? We, we played pogs, and then she had she stole some cigarettes from her mom. We hit the ditch. We smoked. And then she gave me the rest of the pack, and I was walking around the apartments. And I, to this day, I don't understand how no adult saw me walking around with my two or three friends smoking the cigarette for like two or three yeah. and then I thought I couldn't go to the NBA because of drug testing and cigarettes were drugs <laughs> that's how smart I was in the second oh, grade so, so yeah that's the last time I smoked that's some real cigarettes. 200 IQ type <laughs> yeah. I mean you quit a lot sooner than I did yeah. I recently yeah. just quit mm. Like I, I stopped or, smoking for a while but after I stopped drinking I kept on I started smoking again and it's mm -hmm. a nasty habit so good for y'all it seems like everybody smokes cigarettes out here, though. So many do. A lot of people do. Yeah, very low-key, you know? Like, they don't look like smokers, but it's like 
Pe- a mm. lot of people smoke, man. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Like, uh, it's a it's a gross habit. Like, even when I was smoking, I just don't like to be around it when I'm eating or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, out here that's a big problem. They're trying to change that for the Olympics, and you guys kind of came right right on time because if you would have came any later in the year it would have been madness and chaos because we got like 20 20 million more people coming for the olympics or something like that what they projected yeah i think 20 20 million people from around the world are coming central tokyo's got what like 14 million people in the area that you've been in yeah so imagine like double that on the yamanote line with the equestrian team staying in my area so (laughs) (laughs) wow So before you came into Japan, um, were you interested in any Japanese shit? Not like super dry shirts, but like, are y'all anime cats? I no, not anime, but I've always been fascinated with Japan just because my sister lived in uh, Okinawa. Yeah, so I mean, she was just out there for ten to twelve years, so it was always fascinating because it's like she lived in the future, um, right. and then uh, you know, always bring cool stuff back when she came back and visited the family, um, and then it got like peaked once again once i started putting out i've been putting out music since 2008 but uh around 2013 2014 uh working with tachi back then through delicious vinyl and uh doing some stuff for extra large my japanese audience kind of like started growing and it clearly became like my second market outside the states so oh, after that i was like you know just fascinated to come to japan and uh, we finally made it happen this year. So the beat scene out here is really thriving and interesting. I think, yeah. man. Like, you know, I was living in Texas before I came out here to Tokyo. But one of the things that surprised me is like most of these cats, they just rock out here with like a 404, an SP 404, mm-hmm. yep. and just well, just that's, kill that's it. the beat scene, man. Yeah. 404. Yeah. Is is it like that in the states too? Like no, Los yeah, Angeles, exactly yeah. like that. Yeah. Exactly. Um, SP 404. Okay. I mean, I just imagine more cats will be rocking like a machine or an MPC because nah. you can. You can drive to the venue out here. You know, you carrying your bag, a small little 404 SX is like it's, the way to go. It's honestly mm-hmm. an aesthetic thing for a lot of people mm-hmm. at this point. Um, I know a lot of the OG cats, like Rest in Peace, Rashi, mm-hmm. um, Dibiase, uh, Sam I Am, cats like that. You know, that's just what that was the first thing that this new new era would like kind of mess with to have this kind of like trippy hip-hop beat set so they were just using out of necessity like cool we found this little machine that we're gonna start using um and i feel like everybody since then is kind of i mean there's still some people that really try and learn it and um just make their own art out of it but a lot of people they'll kind of look at though i've had shows in the past where people kind of look down on me because i don't have a 404 mm-hmm. i have like a pioneer controller until i start rocking and like, oh you're rocking it like a 404 i'm like yeah i don't necessarily right. have to have that you use whatever uh you're comfortable with but say all, to, all that to say i know the homie buddha monk is you know a legendary influential producer out here yeah. and he got a lot of that game from when he was in la so right. i'm sure a lot of cats look up to him and you know that was like the standard set out here yeah absolutely like uh we you know we've had a bunch of japanese producers on here and they were telling us about kind of the the generations of producers out here that were influential and you know in the 90s it's like honda murrow and then you have kind of the the post dilla age right with new jobs and 
Dilla and then post that Buddha Monk was one of the first cats who was really right. doing it and he, he got a lot of that game from being out there with cats like DiBiase Definitely. And th- I mean when we think about like beat music nowadays it's, it's a little bit strange the way that it's framed like the lo-fi hip hop scene yeah, I'm doing quotes right now it yeah. almost seems completely detached from so weird mainstream now man right? so weird <laughs> like I, I'm curious because I, I was telling the homie I was like yo we're, I'm, Jansport J is going to be on a podcast he's like oh that's dope I'm not familiar with him because he doesn't listen to beat music and i gave it he's like oh he's like this is like lo-fi type of shit and i was like (laughs) i don't think i would say that his his music is lo-fi i wouldn't describe it like that like if i had 10 sentences that probably wouldn't be one sentence to describe it how how do you describe your your music i just describe it as soul music soul music which is honestly like even like a step further back than just i try and really look at what i do as carrying on the tradition of soul music within the era that i grew up in i grew Mm -hmm. up in the hip-hop generation so um you know kicks and snares and everything like that but um at the root of it is continuing what people like diana ross and you know barry gordy and you know everybody the impressions people like that curtis mayfield that same spirit of just making honest black music that can affect the world mm. um so that's kind of how i describe it and when people describe it as lo-fi or boom bap or you know whatever where they want to come up I, I i leave that to their own understanding oh, okay. of what it is i don't trip off of that because i know what i'm doing but uh the lo-fi word is uh it's cool for the most part i think sometimes it gets shrouded in uh it's almost like gentrified boom bap to some people yeah that's so, it, it's gentrified you know it depends Del- on who's delicious. calling yeah, it yeah. lo-fi sometimes. Right. And the way you described it, I would just say they said it's lo-fi because it's underground. Like sure. lo-fi is a new word right. for underground as well. So. Right. It, it was uh, in in phonics. You might be able to you know add to this, but guys like DJ Shadow in the '90s was doing something different with hip hop production. He was taking like full measures of a sample and then you know having it progress and do things that were kind of against the kind of of the day ethics in production and it's i've always just called it like if it's like flying lotus i was like i don't know man like what kind of music is that is that edm i just call it like beats like he makes hip he's a hip-hop artist to me and i don't know if that's just a limitation in my own like vernacular or understanding of it but Mm -hmm. to me when i hear shit i was like oh that's just hip-hop shit that's that's beats he's a producer he makes make beats but within within hip-hop culture especially when it comes to sample based hip-hop which is different to me than trap music the act of digging and the act of kind of re-putting things recontextualizing sounds is a callback to our history mm-hmm. and it also provides an educational value right. to people who find the music sure. and so you grab that record and you find out about like oh who the fuck is like yo and this, this is amazing and, and then you frame it for the next person to and that's unpackage. why i call it soul music because it's me doing the education and the process of creating that record and my biggest thing is I can make the music with every intention in the world of like, okay, this is what it actually means and it's going through blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, to some kid, it's just going to be some like dope beat. So like, all right, right, cool. But intrinsically within the energy of that music is, you know what I'm saying, that education, that pushing soul music forward. So that's how I approach that. 
one of the things I was trying to get across earlier, but perhaps didn't say it as well, is that um, this is an interesting thing about your music to me is um, within a lot of the ethics of hip hop shit, right? Like you can't just sample everything, right? If something's been used, it's cliche to use it. Some things are like, oh, that's too new. You can't flip that yet. And what you do with your music a lot is recognizable samples. It's like you don't, you're not necessarily trying to hide where you pulled the sample from, but you reframe it and recontextualize it in a way that's new and brings new life to it. In in terms of your approach and your ethics, is anything off limits? I mean, it depends on what you're making it for. <laughs> like, if I want to get some stuff placed, I'm not going to start sampling the Beatles indoors and all that right. type of stuff. But outside of that, I'm just I want to make dope shit. I think sometimes people just overthink this shit. Like, they when they make up rules about you can't. You know, you can't loop everything. You Every time they say you can't do some shit, it becomes popping. Right. So at the end of the day, I just kind of trust my own ears and my own gauge of like, hey, do you like this shit? Because if you like it, there's a good chance somebody else might like it. Um, so that's just like the, the frame that I live with. And I understand people have certain um, certain rules and ethics with creating music that they abide by. Um, there's none that I can think of offhand where I'm like, oh, you can't do that. Just make dope shit. If it's dope, cool. If not, that shit's going to be whack. We're all going to recognize it's whack. So, Word. I, I definitely want to get more into the process and, and uh, you know, the music you make and a couple of the steps and various other things. But let's start off with, like, how did both of y'all meet? Uh, I met Jansport through Delicious Vinyl, like, um man one day i just walked into the pizza shop they had uh start talking to mike ross who was uh one of the founders of delicious vinyl we became cool and um i start coming to hang around there all the time i was doing like a little residency there uh you know rapping for you know a couple of friends i invite friends out and like do something every thursday i think it was and just was hanging around and i met jansport through like some mutual people at delicious vinyl and um i was managing a visual artist a visual artist named rob hill before i was managing a music artist okay. and uh me and sport we ended up taking a trip to south by southwest through delicious vinyl what and year was that that was a uh, 2018 okay yeah, I think yeah, 2018. Yeah, March 2018, and then from that point on, um, you know, I, I've been managing them. It's just like a passion of mine that I didn't even know I had. I feel like my journey as an artist led me to management. You know, I knew I'm supposed to be around music, but um, you know, management. I had no idea that this was gonna be my thing. And it, what was the kind of deciding factor that made you switch and say, you know what? I'm going to actually do management. You know what, man? A lot of it has to do with uh, <laughs> my lack of follow through as an artist. You know, <laughs> like I overthink projects like I got uh, release anxiety, all that type <laughs> of stuff, you know, that you shouldn't do is kind of the guiding light for me when I'm managing because I'm always on them like, oh, no, you got to do this. You should do this. Like, let's try this because... You know, a lot of my own hesitation as an artist, um, you know, directs me and how I see plays, you know, for them. Because it's like I want to see um, Jansport J become successful. He, when I started managing him, he told me he wanted to be the Anthony Bourdain of producers. And I was like, OK, 
this guy like knows what he wants you know he takes that seriously and i take this seriously like i love this shit you know now we in japan you know spreading this music around the world mm -hmm. and like we've been to spain you know we've been to um toronto we just kind of keep adding destinations you know to the plays man and and keep running it up it must be um you know i'm i've made art but mm -hmm. i've never been a focus artist like you know what you do and what you do and you too phonics but i can imagine that it's difficult putting on both of those hats when you're a full creative you know making the art is one thing and then trying to sell it is like I, a whole nother joint i separate the process every time and i mean it might be at my detriment sometimes it might annoy other people but i'm such a firm believer i will have a general idea of what i want to do uh, i'm not 100 percent naive but i really believe in create the music that you're making don't think about what's going on out there you'll sell you'll have one idea that you want to start with at least myself and i know i'm gonna change from that but i know how to go through my process so mm. i say hey this is my album title it's gonna come out this time i'm gonna start working now and then i start making whack beats and then i get frustrated and i make one or two where i'm like oh okay and i start going a certain direction and Within that whole journey, I can't be thinking about business because I'm creating a business plan for something my creative isn't 150% mm. invested in yet. So I have to let all that weird stuff find its way. And then once I make the body of work, I am conscious enough to say, okay, cool. Don't just put it out right now. Let's take a step back. Let's link up with Slim. Let's link up with whoever and see what is this and who do we give this to? Not so much the world wants this, so let's give them this. It's like I have this. Who can I give this to? Who's going to love this? Hmm. That's just been my approach to it. So, Can we go back to this Anthony Bourdain joint, though? <laughs> yeah, like, what, yeah. is, what does that mean? Elaborate. I just want to be able to travel off of music. I'm really just a fake producer that just wants to travel. So <laughs> no doubt. I'm like... It was either a, this or flight attendant. Yeah. As a kid, my <laughs> mom, she got me a book from the book nook when I was like seven or eight years old. And it was a dollar book. I remember this. And it had... Like every country in the world, it, it was like a page or two on it. You saw a picture of it and it had like a little write up. And I would look at that every day. And every time I go past the globe to this day, I'll stop and look at it because I've always just been fascinated with how big the world is. Mm -hmm. But it's also kind of small enough to see mm -hmm. most of that shit. So um, I've always just wanted to travel. So um, when it came to, you know, what I see for myself, it's like. Like I said, I make soul music, and I feel like soul music is a universal thing. So why not test that out and try and see for yourself and hit different corners of the world and just play the soul music and see how people react to it. We did Shizuka, and they were rocking. And I'm like, I'm playing, like, the craziest samples, you know what I'm saying? Like, just straight-up loops and stuff like that, and they, they're rocking with it, you know? It's, there's an artist that I sampled from... 1971 that would have no idea that there's this club in Shizuoka that's just rocking to their shit with drums on top of it. Word. So that's, you know, that's kind of what I see with it. Nah, that's so. beautiful, though. And, yeah. and also, uh, unlike being a stewardess where or, or a flight attendant, where you, where you go and you come to a country and you can't really communicate, you know, uh, who you are as a person because the language barrier with your music everybody understands that mm -hmm. you know yeah. what i mean exactly and so that's wonderful man that's really dope yeah how what uh how many shows have y'all done out here we've done two so far 
You still got heavy you sick, more right? shows? We got heavy sick, and um, I'm DJing at Counter Club uh, Thursday. As oh, well. you are with so, a Funnel. Yeah, with Funnel. Okay, yeah, right. shout out to Funnel. He actually uh, he put out the Pharaoh CD out here through uh, Astrologe. So it'll okay. be my first time meeting him face to face. He's so a super dope cool. cat. It's a good when place. The dope. sound is really dope there. Dope. Where, where? When is the heavy like sick show? Oh, I'm sorry. Heavy sick Saturday, right? Or Friday? Friday. I want to say Friday, yeah. It's yeah. Ilsugi's joint? I think it's joint? the 28th. I think, yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's a fr- I think Slow lights, are, right? Yeah. It's, hold on. I might have I it think it's calendar. Friday, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Manager, I should know this, right? <laughs> well, you, you also are time traveling right now. It should be a Friday. It should be okay. Friday. Slow lights is usually on Friday nights. Yeah, okay. Our, okay. it's the 28th. Okay, bet. Yeah. I'm going to try to come to that because Phonics and I went to the show at Circus, but we both had to get on that last train. So how have the shows been out here? It's been love, man. I was... You know, I felt like I would do decent out here because, like I said, I've seen that there's been a fan base, but this trip has totally exceeded my expectations as far as um, the energy and the love out here. Like, people have really been um, waiting for me to come out here, and that's it's a blessing to, to feel that. You know, living in L.A., you can kind of get jaded because everything is a rat race, and, you know, mm, right. I don't believe in competition when it comes to making music, but it can feel like that amongst everybody, so... Being able to just step outside in a whole other country and for it to feel familiar with people. You know, there was a dude that um, pulled me to the side in very broken English, said, I have known you since 2013. You know, and I'm like, I live no. in Covina, California. He's like, I, I love your music. I've known you for this long. So um, it's been amazing so far. That's dope. Yeah. You still stay in Covina? Yeah, still in Covina. What about you, Slim? I'm born and raised in Lamert Park, but I stay in San Pedro. Oh, shit. Shout out to Chaos Network. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, ben Caldwell, man. Yep. Yeah, him and my mom went to film school together. Like, Lamert Park OG. His no daughter shit. is married to uh, the homie, Eddie. Oh, word, 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 word. Yeah. I mean, I I, uh, I grew up in Oceanside. I left Oceanside and went to Hawaii when I was, like, 14. But, word. you know, the the West Coast music scene has been something that's been so influential. You know, I'm, I'm 36 years old, so... Like, when I was really getting to music is when kind of shit split and went underground. So, mm-hmm. Fellowship and all those cats is kind of like my wheelhouse. I, I, you know, I, I, I feel like a, a lot of the things that shaped me as a hip-hop head come from the kind of ethics of that community of open stylers and free expression, uh, free expression with uh, an emphasis on jazz and, definitely, you know, a little bit definitely. of that. So, Lamert Park, I, I just, you know, I, I love it. Yeah. I, Actually, the the artist that I'm probably gonna play music of today, like my share track, I'll probably play some Milo shit. Dope. You know, West Coast yeah, shit. Yeah. Dope. What about? Uh, well, I don't want to get into your musical taste until the second part of the podcast. Um, I don't know what like, what what uh what projects have you guys worked on together? Did you were you working together when you released Low? Because that was kind of I, I heard your music before, but Low, I feel like I read a uh, an article from there's like two versions of it <laughs> where i okay um i there was a version that i got off of Bandcamp, i think oh yeah yeah no i was saying um i might have cut you off but um pretty much i had made an album and i scrapped it and i kept like three or four tracks and like redid it and that's what low ended up being okay. um and i believe me and slim we um i think the music was done and we were leading into the album rollout so he came into the situation of we have an album done we're starting to communicate with fat beats and we saw oversaw that whole process of um yeah just like lining up a rollout we haven't 
as far as a solo album yet, like done like from beginning um, to end. But we've done it with the Stally album collaborations and stuff like that. So he's is definitely there, been in the trenches. Is there new music on the way? I mean, almost yeah, I'm, like I'm in that weird stage. Yeah. Like I told him like three weeks ago, I was like, I'm working on my album. I know exactly where I want to go. And then like mm-hmm. a week ago, I said, no, I got to take the next year, year or two and just mm-hmm. like. And that's exactly what I mean by my weird stage because I know who I am. Like, I got to just creatively go, I want to do this. No, I want to do that. And I have to go through that to figure out exactly what it is I'm going to be doing. So, And that's uh, just the album process, not to cut you off. There's a lot of new music on the way, but oh, just yeah, yeah, not in sure. the form of an album. So, mm-hmm. like, the fans will definitely be fed. We um, focusing real heavy on collaboration and, you know, travel and stuff like that, you know, really trying to um, take this Jansport J brand worldwide, you know? Um, yeah, no, there's going to be a lot of uh, collaborative projects. I could say there's going to be more of that than ever. Um, the solo will be a while because of that. So that's that's where we're at with it, just kind of getting all over the place and uh, just working with producers or with artists and producers. My um the most enjoyable thing for me right now, which is, has been for a while, is to produce an artist project, um, to get to know them from the very start and figure out what it is that they want to talk about. Instead of just emailing beats, like me and Stally, we we got like one joint done and then we didn't do anything else for four or five months. But we talk like every other day. And the more I got to hear about like the things he's excited about, the things that frustrate him, the things he goes through, like ups and downs, I started to figure out, oh, this is kind of what he wants to say. Mm-hmm. I think he needs to get some bars off. I think he needs a relationship track. And, like, that whole process of creating a world for a producer or for an artist is, like, one of my favorite things to do. And I feel like it's the OG thing, like the, the Marley Marl, the premieres, the Pete Rocks, Kanye. What Like, you do that. You produce the, the album right. for an artist. So Right, right. It's yeah. not, here's a beat that I made and just jump on this with yeah. anything. Yeah, I like that. I feel like when projects are, are when the producer is producing mm-hmm. and shaping things and trying to bring the artist along and, and right. help do that, the collaboration is stronger. You the can rea- tell the distance. And the, the reality of today is, though, that you have to be able to do both because there's some artists that won't let you produce them. And mm-hmm. there's some times where you just can't afford to produce that artist. It's like, hey, we can communicate through email, maybe on FaceTime, we'll get in. But like, everything doesn't get the same energy. But like I said, my joy is when i'm able to do that and sit and long form a project and say this is what we're doing this is the world i want to build for you more of like a personal connection yeah yeah you got to be able to do both is what i feel like i got one last question then i got a dip is there a japan only release on the way a single, a seven-inch, oh, twelve inch. I've been rooting for it. that. You should do that because they like a limited release out here. Yeah, japan states. Japan sport that. for sure, yeah. I, I see. Um, you've got a bunch of a bunch of records here. Are those joints that you're digging? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm starting to uh, make sure I pick up some records whenever I travel. So uh, I definitely got some. Uh, we'll say some Japanese jazz, some uh, some old school R and B joints. I, I like a lot of the Japanese R and B and soul from uh, the '80s, or late '70s. Uh, a lot of stuff I come across on blogs and stuff like right. that. I've really been into so i made sure to get some of those word up word up i guess phonics is taking off man yo phonics thanks for uh, coming through fam glad i got to chop it up for a little bit gentlemen now that uh now that my my co-host is on a sabbatical i'm gonna be calling you up more often to see if i can get you in here hit me up if i got time in the schedule but i'm you know like them trying to get the art focused and yeah 
All right, man. Take care. You know how to let yourself out and everything. Word up. Peace, Phonics. Yeah. See you. Now, um, uh, I did. I did have a question about uh, your. Not so much the difference between you working with um, an MC and making beats, you know, for your own, you know, accord. Mm -hmm. But like, since you are a sample based producer, mm -hmm. do you? And and your your job is to make the art, but the legality of sample clearance. Mm -hmm. How has that affected your art? Like, um, do you just make shit and then worry about sample clearance? I don't want to, I don't want to blow up your spot. And yeah, be, oh, no, I'm I, just I, stealing. You yeah, know, no, like I, I you know thought, what I mean. But you, how does that work? You you make things that you know. Worst comes to worst, it should be able to get clear. Like I mentioned before, I'm not really ever touching Beatles stuff. I'm not touching certain certain artists because I know it's not going to get clear. Um, but within that, I just create. Um, as you level up, you have to be smarter about it. I can tell you that 100%, and that's what I'm in the process of. Um, but uh, when it comes to creating, you don't think too much about that outside of what's untouchable there are untouchable artists mm -hmm. but outside of that just create because you never know there's a record that i might send to rapper c that they'll turn down the sample clearance on that if i get it to rapper a who's in this uh, yeah we'll clear that and you can have this much publishing of it you know so i try not to limit myself create you know creative wise but that is something you have to keep in the back of your mind of you know what you can actually do with it you experience difficulty with that slim and, and shopping his albums and things of that nature. Uh, the first thing I want to say is uh, get yourself a good lawyer because it's very hard to navigate the business side of the industry, you know, because there's a difference like Jansport lives in two worlds. He lives in this underground world where you just kind of make your own instrumental albums and you put them out. But he also lives in the producer placement world of the industry. And when you navigate in those waters, you know, you need to have yourself like a good lawyer because every situation is different from our experience. You know, every artist situation is different. This indie label and that indie label could be very similar from the outside looking in. But when you actually start going through the legalities of things, like <laughs> some people just don't know stuff, you know, like it might be like, oh, we got a label, but they just might not be educated or the artist might not be educated on certain things, right. even if they like very accomplished. Yeah. So, you know, you you kind of have to figure it out as you go and just deal with like each situation like one by one you know one at a time like if it's an artist like the game or something or a big artist you know they might have a much easier time clearing samples like than an up-and-coming artist or you know an artist with a smaller budget or if it's like an indie artist you know like some like labels might look the other way honestly if it's an indie label mm -hmm. so you know it's just a uh, situation by situation but you need um guidance because each one of those situations should also be a learning lesson. So when you come across like something that's similar, you'll know how to navigate it, what sure. to ask for. Timing is very important, you know, like uh, when you send in emails and stuff to different artists, like, you know, make sure that you let them know like what the sample is and you document that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. If, you know, the record may come out on like a, a, a major label or something right. like that, or if the artist is like um, very notable, you know, like it's a lot of little things you can right. do in the 
process to help you at the end of the line because you're always right. chasing money afterwards you always like you know chasing things afterwards like art and business don't move at the same pace they don't they're not on the same schedule you can get in here and create something off the energy you guys have you know within five ten minutes and have you know something that you both love but the business of that might take five six months you know sure so you got to really really like just key in and kind of like establish your protocol and i find that that's like a big problem with you know sample based producers and independent producers and you know major producers alike because you can have a hit and still get gypped out mm -hmm. of you know a lot of your money Indeed. signing bad pub deals and stuff like Indeed. that so you gotta do your homework i wonder like you know it it's an interesting space because you have a you have a creative type like a naturally creative free spirit personality like you jay or at least what i imagine your primary focus is i imagine you're the type of guy that kind of showed the markings of being a producer when you're young like doing pause tapes or some shit before you even knew what the yeah. fuck was going on well you got a guy like madlib right madlib is just in the studio making beats He's not even keeping track of what the sample is. And, and, and I feel like that maybe held him back from mainstream notoriety because sample clearance and things of that nature. I, well, I wouldn't say that. I think, honestly, just my very small experiences with him and hearing about him, um, I take a lot of his approach with a little bit more um, awareness of I want to step out into the industry lane a little bit more. I don't think Madlib ever wanted that. I think Madlib is similar to me and like, hey, I do this. So if you want the dope, come here. You know what I'm saying? I'm not doing what y'all doing. Um and I think he's even evolving now to, you know, working with RCA and stuff like that where I think him and Egon are disclosing all of that. And I that's, you know, going back to what we were saying prior, I would add that to um advice for producers just always have the information available whenever i chop up stuff whether however we're doing it i have the information there's always a file name of everything i'm using so sure. if it ever comes across it's like oh, okay well here's this this and that and it's easy for them to go and clear mm. you know that's some professionalism said, right there though if you stay ready you don't have exactly. to get ready hey. hundred thousand percent shout out sugar free I don't know why I did that, but hey, that's the second time Sugar Free has come up in Japan. That's what yeah, <laughs> real talk. He's giving you the church word. That was a the, yo. Y'all know the vibes. Recently, the podcast been cutting out. We just had a little tangent about Sugar Free, and y'all don't need to know everything we said, but just know that you should go Google Sugar Free if you don't know him. Pay some Please. respect to the God. Do yourself a favor. Right. One thing. One thing that I was thinking before. Um, before uh it cut out and before we started talking about sugar free is agility to be agile and i feel like you guys are pretty fucking agile when it comes to navigating uh the music industry stuff it sounds extremely tedious to do what you do by keeping track of all the samples and the shit that you're doing like when i was making beats you know you see i got little machines over here when i be making beats i just like I, half the time there'll be a branch involved a little bit of a tree right. and all that shit just disappears into the ether you know what I mean well, I right, might remember the record but yeah. I mean that shit sounds crazy well I could tell you that I do admittedly have like a very weird small sense of OCD so when I get an album if I import something anything goes into my computer I'm titling everything like immediately because okay. it's going to bug me if I don't do it afterwards mm -hmm. and I'll find the album cover in Google Images 
and I'll put it on there. And if I can't find an album cover, I'll make one up because I'm visual. So like I have OCD in that sense. So anytime I'm getting anything, I'm labeling it. And so when I start creating an upload, it's right there in the session file. So and listen, from a management perspective, like thank the Lord because <laughs> a lot of times, you know, you need that that information in the fourth quarter with 10 seconds on the clock, you know, and a lot of people can miss big opportunities because they just are not in the habit of being prepared because, you know, it's a difference between making art for yourself. That's a hobby. But when you're making art for other people, you know, there's unquestionably um, a business aspect involved in that. If you want to call yourself a professional and you got to really notice the, difference between the two and when it comes to being a professional you know you need to have things like that you need to have your sample source information you know you need to have all your publishing information right you know if somebody's asking you hey we want to put together a producer agreement you know can you send me your um bmi number it's like you need to know what that is and how to send that over you know so it's like all those little things you know are vital you know to it's just, it's just some people shoot for the moon, you know, or you could be like Jansport. He's very methodical about how he approaches, you know, making music in general, like making his beats, like he keeps track of everything, like keeps the sample information. But you also have to have that mentality and understand that like you're way more than just a creative, you know, you're also all these other things. Mm. If you want to make money off did, this, you did know, this, I mean, you say it's an OCD thing, but did the titling emerge because just naturally or was it because you came up across some adversity and you learned that you needed to do nah, that? I'm just a visual person in a weird sense. When I first started making beats, like my very first beats ever, I would make fake albums. So I used to, when I learned how to sample, I went through and sampled Disney joints and in my iTunes it said, you know, Jans War J Disney. And then I was doing Queen joints. And so it was like Jans War J Queen. I did the same thing with the doors and um, just random groups. But like, I have to to stay like interested creatively. I have to see like a full thing, a body of work. Things mm. have to be filled out as much as possible for me to like really get excited about it. So, I think on a very like weird small scale, I think being able to put all the information and seeing the album artwork, it feels full to me. And it feels like I can dive into it without. Mm any kind of weird angst it's just a weird thing that i have oh that's kind of dope though yeah i mean a lot of people would like to be more ocd if it was that helpful <laughs> yeah. to their career just, you know just I mean? in that sense just in that yeah it's, it's not overboard or anything like that but before sure. um uh, before we end this half of the podcast and go to the next half of the podcast i'd like to know some of your thoughts about uh the beat scene out here like what you've seen uh, what did you think about the cast that were performing and how Man. does this kind of compare to Los Angeles? It's blowing my mind because it's, it's just like home. But they're like, back home you'll see a dope set and you'll know who that person is or you'll probably have heard of them. Um, and now here I'm seeing, I saw a cat, Black Shadow, and uh, Shizuoka who was killing and there's a dude before him i can't remember his name but i was just watching dudes just murk left and right like who are these kids you know what i'm saying so um it's like it's incredible out here the way you know they're rocking these beat sets and um 
it seems like a scene that's growing and like i said just with cats like um buddha monk and uh seeing like the laugh life crew and um just a lot of people who were even kojo the homie kojo he was playing joints today and I had oh, yeah. no idea about his beats like that. Like I knew he's he been was doing a, these new projects like every month, like Kojo's Fire. Boulevard, but Kojo's. What shit, was yeah. what was crazy is I was watching his his show um, at Circus Tokyo, and I was like, oh, this is he's got like a big sound. This is he sounds like a major artist, but like his production sounds major, but he's very tapped in. Like this would be a dope person to work with. And the BC was playing, and I was like, oh, you on the same shit we on too? Like you can do it all. So. Word. It's just it's dope his, to hear the his verse. set at Circus was a rap set. Yeah, oh, but okay. I think uh, Tachi uh, Chili T he was telling me that he produced most of his okay. own stuff. Yeah. I believe so. He's worked with a lot of really dope artists. He's worked with a couple homies like the homie Aaron Cholai, who's like a piano prodigy, jazz cat out here, and they make mm-hmm. some really dope music, man. I, yeah. I find, you know, I have I wasn't in Los Angeles or or in in California during the kind of rise of. Uh, the L.A. beat scene, you know, with cats like Edit, Daedalus, and those type of guys forging new paths and new sound, or early fly low type of shit. And I'm not exactly sure how it changed and, and what it became, but it seems to me that, it, maybe it's just because I live out here, but it seems to me that Los Angeles and Tokyo have some of the richest beat communities For in sure, the world. Uh, I yeah. just, like, there's a beat show here almost every week and everybody there is just dope like oh, yeah. countless cats and when i talk to cats from los angeles like uh, shout out to the homie flat stanley who was on a podcast a couple months ago like he put me on to so many people that i didn't know were killing it and it's just like yo there's so many distinct sounds and there's just so many like super dope cats that it's hard to follow you know what i mean i thank god i got started when i did because it'd be hard to like really stand above the crowd now because there's so much dope out there yeah. i think the only way really to stand out at this moment in time unless you're a prodigy is just to be consistent and i think that's what i've always hung my hat on i can't say how good i am or not i know i'm decent i know i'm dope and i know i just kind of stuck through and i've been around for a while and that's where a lot of the respect comes from um and i would pass that advice to anybody you know getting started now it's a lot more dope out there, but I think at the end of the day, the the lesson is consistent. You have to be consistent always with your uh, with your craft, and that's the only way you're really gonna like gain that respect over time. It's so much better to really get your flowers after a journey than it is to get something really quick, and you don't even know what you have at that point. So the things that me being in Japan right now, like that's a real thing that I wanted. I tweeted about in 2012. So it's a real thing. It's a real thing for me to appreciate. I could have got it in 2014. It would have been a cool little trip, but 2020, it's like a celebration of everything that's been happening. So, well, after what do you have? Like ten full length, like ten releases at least. Yeah, I think nine yeah. solo albums nine. and yeah, a bunch of other collaborative ones. In the joint that you came out with um, last year, the best of the beat tape. Yeah, right. Um, I actually missed that one. Like I heard low and I was like, oh, that's my shit. But I missed the best of the beat tape. Yes. Until so it's not out. it's not an official release. Basically, what I did was last year I did twelve beat tapes um, in twelve months. What? Just because I had always had a lot of beats, but you know, with Slim coming into the situation and talking to my boys, uh, Hit Boy and Chasing Cash, Chase told me he was like, "You're incredible, but you're not doing enough. Like you have so much fire that we hear, 
but the public's not here and you're not giving them the best of you because you're being so precious with your music and so he's like you just gotta put yourself out there more and i said well what can i do to take myself out of my comfort zone and get out there more but still not feel goofy about it and i always knew that music is my best pr that's the time that people are going to talk that things will happen if i just put some music out and i probably make about 300 beats a year so i was like i need to just start putting out a tape a month just see if i could do that word and that's what that was and we just wanted to you know slim had the idea of just bringing it all together uh at the end of that you know like you did 12 you did a year of beat tapes so now let's just put it together as the best of those were band cam joints let's put this on the streaming services for people to hear a little bit of each one right. if they weren't following so that's basically what that was i mean it's extremely dope i've been giving a lot of play over the last few days since i found out you were right. coming kind of hyping me up like oh shit but um where would you say if uh if somebody if 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 you wanted to introduce somebody to a project of yours like where would mm-hmm. you where would you want them to start what's a good encapsulation of your intent and effort i would say it's a tie between the sole provider and pharaoh uh, i think pharaoh was the people's choice uh that project did so much for me um the word really got around with that album um and it was kind of just like my hodgepodge it was inspired by rock him a picture of rock him and cold weather and in a new york blizzard you know what i'm saying i said i want to make right. music that feels like this moment and uh that's the people's choice i would say listen to that one my personal favorite the one that feels the most like me low is up there too but i would say the soul provider was just like my nerded out like experimental concept album so i would want people to hear that and um get a good idea of who i am i think shoulders is probably the favorite uh song i've ever produced it's the shoulders shoulders yeah i think it's the most representative of my sound and who i am so that one's on that soul provider yeah let's uh let's get some social media information where we can find you in the best place to purchase your music or whatever and i will go out on shoulders yes sir uh jansport j on instagram on twitter on facebook youtube i'm on everything but tiktok i can't yeah, no, I just turned 34. Yeah, I'm 36. I'm out. <laughs> I can't. No, I'm cool. Yeah, I, I'm surprised that I got on Instagram. I feel like people forced me into that. That was like peer pressure. Yeah. And it worked out all right, but I mean, I can't do TikTok. Yeah, no, that's where it stops. But everything, just type in Jansport J if it comes up, it's probably me. Word. So, yeah. What about you, Slim? Um, Slim Jeff on Instagram, and that's it. Word. Well, here goes shoulders. I'm going to go ahead and let y'all rock to that. Uh, And uh, tune in Tuesday for the second half of the podcast where we're going to talk more about Jan Sports' particular taste in music along with Slim Jeffs. We're going to play some of their music. We're going to let them play some any any music they want to play. We're going to talk a little bit more about the musical process. Mega Late Show, episode number 102. Number one hip-hop and dope culture podcast in Tokyo.